What's up, everybody? You're listening to The Heavy Pour. My name is Dustin, historian and host of the podcast. What's up, guys? I am Skylar, and I am your producer and co-host. Uh, so today on The Heavy Pour, we've got a uh, special Christmas episode. Episode? Episode is the name of the word <laughs> that I'm trying to say there. That that we do. <laughs> um, so we've got a special Christmas episode that we're working on. Uh, we're just going to outline a little bit of that. So we're going to start uh, with the origins, sort of folklore background of where Christmas came from. And we're going to touch on uh, where it then evolved into further down the centuries. Yes. And then from there... Probably talk about, uh, like, St. Nicholas, I would imagine, a yeah, little bit. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on St. Nick a bit. Maybe some media... I, a Christmas story comes to mind, and then also maybe con- some consumerism that goes along with that from, sure. you know, the or- origin of monetizing the holiday. Well, nowadays right? you can't have Christmas without ka-ching, am I right? <laughs> That's true. So first, before we get into that, uh, we would just want to have you guys go and uh, subscribe to us on your favorite app, whether it's Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any other of those wonderful podcast uh, apps that are out there. Go uh, look us up, subscribe, uh, like if you got it, leave a comment if you can. Cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, with that, let's just dive right in. We will dive right in. What do you got for us, Dustin? So our idea for this Christmas special was to just talk about like maybe some lesser known portions of the holiday. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, everybody knows you know, their own childhood uh, memories of it. I think a lot of people our age, uh, like you mentioned earlier, we I think of the Christmas story and it's, is it on TBS that always runs it? I don't know what cable station runs it all the time. But they I, do those 24-hour marathons. But like, oh sure, you they know what do. I mean? Like they do. Yeah. So like I, I can remember CBS? sitting. No. TBS? It's I think cable. it's, t- I think it's, it's on TBS. Cable. I think yeah. you're right. Because um, I never had it as a kid because we were too poor. So I always went over to my uncle's house. My parents just did, wouldn't do it. Yeah, no. See, Maybe we were poor. <laughs> my family, I just knew we were poor. But like my yeah. cousins had uh, cable. And we would yeah. go watch it at their house. And that was part, honestly part of the reason we were always so excited to go for those quote-unquote traditions was because we were watching a friggin' movie. Which yeah. seems weird to have a movie as part of like a cr- tradition. Because well, the holiday is based in a religious uh, strongly based in you know the Christian faith, but all I cared about yeah. as a kid is that I got to go watch a movie. You know, like yeah, well, and that's kind of I think we're we're going to touch on that too a little bit later, but that ties in a lot of the consumerism exactly. that that we're we're taught from a very young age. Watch this movie, want these gifts, yeah buy this thing, yep. you know, and that's really where a lot of that comes from. Well, and then it gets to a point where you're not even necessarily taught it. It just, you internalize it. It's a, something you take for granted. Like you go to a different country and wait, what? Coca-Cola isn't associated in India with Christmas. Well, yeah, no, because they, <laughs> they don't have a basis for celebrating Christmas right. there. Right. But like, it's something we in the Western world, specifically in America, take granted for granted that, yeah. but it is different though. Cause you think if, if you were in Italy, they still have Coca-Cola. It's yeah, but still it's still very not... prevalent. It's not as 
maybe not for that holiday. But it's not portrayed the same way with the holiday, exactly. No, yeah. which is interesting. Which is really interesting to think about. Well, it's marketing. So we'll, yeah, and we'll we'll dive yeah. into that a little later in the podcast. But yeah, um, so all of these like traditions that we have from our own childhoods uh, don't necessarily we may not have learned as kids mm. of the actual origins of the holiday. I was raised Catholic, so I I actually did know a lot of the real liturgical, you know. Yeah. Religious-based reasons for the holiday. I was raised human. That's, I like that. It's better than <laughs> Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> I, I have this weird uh, love-hate relationship with the Catholic Church because I, I love all the bullshit that they did throughout history because it's so fascinating to study and look back and go, how did they get away with that? Or, yeah. or on the flip side, it, it's not all bad. The, the Roman Catholic Church has done plenty of good for the world, too. You know, yeah. like, so look at how amazing, uh, for instance, Mother Teresa was in, in helping um, children who were living on the streets and things. It's, oh, absolutely, it's both sides. Yeah. But anyways, so actually this, this is a good little segue here. Um, so I, I'm interested a lot in the origins of, of the, the holiday. So the main origin, obviously, Christmas, it's Christ's Mass. It's mm-hmm. based around Jesus' birth, right? Um, yeah. and I mean, you, and I'm sure many people know that it wasn't December 25th. Isn't actually the day Jesus was born. We don't know that for sure. Right. Right. It's just used as a way, as the day to commemorate his birth, you know, within the, within the Christian faith. So it was originally called Christ's mass, but that's kind of hard to stay. So people just shortened it, you know, colloquialisms, slang, they just shortened it at Christmas. It's just easier to say, right? Like, it's oh, kind of hard to deny. Yeah. We're going out for Christ's Mass lunch. We're going to Christ's Mass. No, it's, yeah, Christmas, right? Like, <laughs> so, yeah, the 25th is just a commemorative date. Interestingly enough, it's often, especially in the liturgical calendar, which is the, the religious calendar, and I think specifically what I'm speaking to here based on the research that I did is specifically the Roman Catholic understanding of the holiday um it was always actually observed up until relatively recently along with his uh baptism which is is denoted his baptism date was january 6th so up until you know maybe the last 100 150 years people would take an entire week off to celebrate christ from the 25th all the way up through january 6th now that sounds great doesn't it sound amazing? Yeah. Right? We should do that more. I agree. Let's do that. But over over the course of, you know, the centuries, it, it because of capitalism and other, the realities of life of like, you can't. It's hard to make money when you just take off. Well, it's hard, especially if you think of like subsistence farming. You can't, just, you can't take a week off of no. making sure your, your livestock are alive. Like you gotta, you gotta work still, but. <laughs> I hope they're okay over there. What? I hope they're living still. I haven't seen him in four days. I haven't fed or watered them. Can't leave my house to feed my cattle because I got to make sure that I'm observing this week-long celebration. Yeah. Uh, so also along with this, um, moving up through, through the ages, so it started, it wasn't really formalized until the like 300s AD when the bishops started to, when the Catholic Church really started to coalesce into some sort of coherent entity that's when christmas was formalized as the 25th 
and even still today, people celebrate it at all different times. Um, like the Orthodox Church celebrates it in, according to the Julian calendar. So we pretty much all civil calendars that we work on now are the Gregorian, which was named after Pope Gregory. He instituted this calendar reform that based the calendar not on uh, the lunar cycle, but on uh, solar cycles. So it's a more accurate calendar. Cool. But there are still people in the world, like the Eastern Orthodox Church, that uses that old Julian um, lunar calendar. So it's off by like a week and a half now. Okay. Down the ages, they, they lose a day or they're a day short. So they're actually in like January right now. Not right now, but as around Christmas time, this Eastern Orthodox Julian calendar is like December 25th for our date for them is actually it still December 25th for them. But their December 25th is actually our January 7th or something. It's kind of crazy. What? That's yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's just because that's why leap years exist. Yeah. Is to account for those because it's not a perfect 365. It's 365 right. and a quarter. Oh. Right. That's why. Because. Okay. Because, you know. Because astronomy. Because of, you know, the world and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> um, in medieval Europe, Christmas was, and so from the 300s onwards and into medieval Europe, it was always combined with older festivals, oftentimes winter solstices, and a lot of times it just eased how this new Christian holiday was received by the population that for so long had either been pagan or non-Christian. Because yeah. can you imagine like having someone tell, coming in and telling you, you have to believe in this God now. Oh, and by the way, all the holidays you used to take don't exist. You have to do these other ones. Yeah, that seems hard. Yeah. So yeah. they were like, well, those holidays that you have, they're accurate, but here's an updated version. So instead of like worshiping, so for instance, the Romans, this is crazy. The Romans used to light bonfires because it seemed like the days were getting shorter and shorter. And so they would light bonfires in the hopes that it would reignite the sun. <laughs> well, the Romans were kind of crazy anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah, they were. But anyway, so Christianity then just kind of folded that into its belief of Christmas to make it easier for people. It's just more palatable. So anyways, that's sort of the origins of Christmas. And then obviously it, like anything, evolves down through the ages. So like St. Nick, for instance, you mentioned you, you did a little research on him. He's believed to be the origins of Santa Claus, right? Yeah. Um, yeah his feast day is December 6th, actually. Um, and he was known, he's known throughout a lot of the Germanic and Central and Eastern European countries as being associated with gift giving. Right, yeah. So, so the, the legend of Santa Claus, yeah. So uh, St. Nick, he was the next interpretation of Santa Claus. Uh, and, or like, sorry, the, the, before the interpretation of Santa Claus. Uh, and I, I was reading just like you had said, uh, you know, the years, uh, you tra- trace back a hundred years or hundreds of years uh, to a monk, monk named St. Nicholas. as believed that Nicholas was born sometime around 280 AD in Patara near Myra in modern day Turkey. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people admired him for his piety and kindness. And St. Nicholas became the subject of many legends. So out of those medieval uh, celebrations of the winter solstice combined with the Christian holiday of Christmas, incorporated into that, that whole gift giving, because the idea that Jesus was a gift to the world. Right. 
it goes along with the idea of like giving gifts as you know a representation of that gift giving and saint nick and santa claus actually made it easier to sort of secularize the holiday and make it approachable to people who were non-christian and another person who did a lot to make it really accessible to non-christians he was writing for christians but Mm -hmm. even now around the world today non-christians love reading his beloved and much now praised story a christmas carol is charles dickens specifically in uh, england around the 1600s so the 1600s into the 1700s okay there's a group of people that came to power eh, they were a minority actually but they they reached the height of their power as a minority they're named the puritans Mm-hmm. And these are a group of people that I feel like a lot of people learn about in like elementary and middle school. Yeah. Like they were sort of the, the pilgrims right. who came to Plymouth Rock were Puritans. That's, and what, here, that's what we learned, yeah. One of my favorite little things, <clears throat> kind of a side note here, the reason that the pilgrims came to Plymouth Rock and came to America is because they were so stringent in their beliefs. They wanted to pull down all idols to the point where when they were reciting mass, there wasn't anyone who was actually a pastor. They were what was known as congregationalists. So they would all take turns leading the congregation, which is kind of cool, but they also were seen as so antagonistic to the normal Church of England at this time in the 1600s. So the Church of Mm -hmm. England basically is the Holy Roman Church just after Henry VIII said that he wanted to be the head of the English church. So they're like the same sort of setup, which is a whole other thing we could go down. But anyways, the <laughs> we're pilgrims... Not, we're not doing religion on this uh, this uh, episode, at least, so... Not really. Um, besides <laughs> this little bit... Even, p- even though we are talking about yeah. Christmas, but... But the pilgrims were so <laughs> puritanical, they were mm. trying to purify, quote-unquote purify the Christian faith, that yeah. they got kicked out of England. Nobody wanted them there. <laughs> and they get they ended up in America. So, anyways, it's these same Puritans. So they were finding the new world, because but technically they, they were they like, had to. "Well, we got to leave here." Yeah, they were the only <laughs> ones. They were the only ones sowing discontent in in England at this time. Everybody else was like, "Can't we all just get along? Like, we all believe in in Jesus. Why can't we just like like study it in our own way?" Those fuckers, yep. you know, yep. left us with. Uh, 500 years of uh, stodgy, uptight. Yeah. Anyways. Right. Um, but these same same Puritans in the 1600s up through the 1700s um, pretty much stomped out the celebration of Christmas because of this idea of gift giving. Because of, they saw it as like materialism and it was taking away from the actual celebration mm-hmm. of the birth of Christ. So they took away weird they didn't even um celebrate birthdays or anything like that because it was um seen as removing or like lessening the interest the reason in people's celebrations of christmas they weren't celebrating the birth of jesus anymore according to the puritans they were celebrating the fact that they got presents the next day which a lot of people still talk about today yeah so by the time charles dickens comes along he finishes the pickwick papers in 1837 same year that Queen Victoria, she was one of the longest reigning monarchs in English history. Same year Queen Victoria comes to the throne is the year that Dickens starts writing in earnest. And mm-hmm. then a couple of years later, he's about to have his fifth child. Okay. And he and his wife are kind of hard up for money because 
um, Pico Quakers were kind of drying up a little bit, and so he decided he needed he needed to sit down and write. And he was having a lot of trouble. And then the story goes that he encountered a Christmas caroler, and it in- ignited this this fire in inside of him, and reminded him of what you know just a hundred years prior Christmas had been about in England specifically, um, because by the time that he starts writing a Christmas carol, celebration of Christmas in England is all but stamped out it's in decline to the point of like almost non-existence so the incorporation of gift giving things like christmas trees caroling other holdover things from like germanic and roman practices of like i said the medieval practices of christmas the puritans stomped all that out because that was all seen as non-christian it was non-christian right like (laughs) fucking puritans yeah Um, well no yeah no it was not not only that but But the Industrial Revolution is in full swing at this time, too, right? right so yeah. they don't have time to celebrate because right. they're getting paid eight cents a day and their boss is working to the bone and, and right. there's no such thing as you know an eight-hour workday or anything like that at this time. <laughs> like, so all of this leads to Christmas almost dying out and Dickens ends up writing A Christmas Carol in 1843. It's an instant success. He writes it the week before Christmas, mm-hmm. sells out by Christmas Eve. Wow. Yeah. Instant success. His first publishing was gone in under six days. Should we pause for the siren? So just for our listeners here, we'll put this in the podcast because it's funny. We're starting a new, uh, um, we have a new studio space tonight. Um, testing it out for the first time. Super We're, excited. Yeah, it's super cool. It's, I, feel like, I feel so grown up. I know, right? <laughs> it's right downtown, right by uh, by Big Ditch, Bre- Big Ditch Brewery. Brewery and... Uh, Right by uh, the Gold Dome, and we're really in the heart of downtown oh, of downtown Buffalo. Buffalo. And, but with that comes all the noises of downtown Buffalo because we haven't built out our studio space yet, so we're still working on that. So if you hear some sirens, then uh, well, we apologize, but yeah, enjoy. You know, it adds you know, to just, the charm, maybe. Just uh, sink sink back and and digest what's really going on there, <laughs> you know. Um. But with that, I'll, I'll hand, it, hand it back to Dustin here, and we'll get back on the story. Yeah, no. Um, so he writes it. He's badly in need of income. Turns out it's a huge success, but because it was so popular, they couldn't keep up with publishing, so people started pirating it. And he spent more money oh, in damn. litigation trying to uh, get Nothing. that money back, keep them from pirating it. Nothing's changed, I see. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, he was fine. He how, ended up going on to write Oliver Twist how would they, and all these. He was fine. How would they pirate it? Just like handwrite it and sell it? No. So they... they or the printing... They, yeah. They the secret printing press. printing press? Yeah. That's pretty... So they would just buy it and then... That's pretty dope, honestly. Then just reset it and print and, and make, make a buck off of it. I'd do that. I mean, well, the thing <laughs> is, is part of, part of what bit him in the ass is that he made it super affordable. Yeah. It was part of why it was so successful, but also because it got yeah. out to... Everybody. Everybody. Yeah. So it was five shillings, which is about 24 pounds in today's money, the equivalent of 31 US dollars, which back then was like nothing for a book because books yeah. were were still relatively expensive compared to how they are. Today, you can find a book. We, you can find a copy of Oliver Twist for five bucks right now. Right. Or free, technically. Right. But if you want a paper copy, Barnes & Noble will sell you, sell you one for five bucks. So back then, it's super cheap. Super affordable, yeah. relative compared to other books, to other manuscripts. Um, 
And that kind of came back to bite him because he wasn't making as much money as he thought. And then on top of that, people were pirating it. But anyways. He's making 31 technically $31 a book. Well, that's what he was sold it, sold it for. Oh, so that's so not including making, his publishing fees and all that. Yeah, he probably made 10%. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. But the reason it was a huge success is because it, he, he, he wrote it because he was saddened at the loss of generosity of spirit throughout England at the time. And he, he wrote it as a way to rekindle the warmth and joy that the Christmas season had previously brought. And it did just that. So his contemporaries raved about it. People went crazy. Obviously, it sold out. But yeah. um, here's, here's a, um, an ex- exact quote from the poet Thomas Hood, who in his day was um, widely renowned as a, as a great English poet. He says, if Christmas, with its ancient and hospitable customs, its social and charitable observances, were ever in danger of decay, this is the book that will give them a new lease. So within, you know, that same time, the same year of its publication, people already saw that this was a a masterwork of writing. And uh, it's a huge reason why in England and then obviously in America, because at this time in uh, America is still very closely tied to England, right? Um, yeah, you know, we're only by 18, 1843, we're only 70-ish odd years away from being their direct colony. So we're still closely, you know, still big trade partners and still yeah. huge. America at this time was still using England and I guess Great Britain in general, but specifically England yeah. uh, as, as a cultural touchstone as well. So fashions and things that were in fashion in England, because at this time, England's the biggest empire in the world. Right. The Americans yeah. are, are replicating that as well. And so Christmas Carol comes along with that. And that comes around. Like, so think of like Twas the Night Before Christmas and all these types of old um, stories and poems. Those are all English. Yeah. Um, but they still hold so much sway in American consciousness. Yeah. Right. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, we, you still hear about them today. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's like it obviously didn't die out. Right. It's very popular throughout the ages. So, yeah. And the Christmas Carol is still, you know, they do t- every every elementary school, maybe not every, but tons of elementary schools still do still put on a production of a Christmas Carol, you know, yeah. for the parents. You know, little kids get out there as one of them's Bob Cratchit. And, hey, do know. it for the parents. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. I was just going to say, I don't know anything about being a parent, so I don't know if it's for the parents or for the kids. But. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it's probably for both. So Yeah. But it's it has been a huge uh, cultural touchstone in in bringing that original understanding of Christmas, bringing updating it. Obviously, at this point, that's the 1840s, but yeah. we're still working with some of those vestiges of the idea of um, having an open heart at the Christmas season being warm right, and kind, giving gifts. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So I think it's funny to think that a book that's almost, that's 170 years old. Is that how math works? 1940. Yeah. 170-ish yeah. years old. Yeah. Uh, that it still has so much sway. But I think a lot of people still do, no matter if, like, because there's so much controversy over, like, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, like right, yeah, that whole controversy thing. But even in spite of all of that, of the antagonisms that we have today regarding yeah. the holiday, there still is, a, I feel, a sense of like open-heartedness and generosity around the Christmas time. 
I would agree. Yeah. I, I think there's a sense of happiness and a sense of... That's not there through the rest of the year, right? Like Yeah, it's definitely a seasonal thing, which is good, honestly, because I feel, especially in Buffalo, you know, the days get so... When the days are short and the, and it's dark and it's kind of de- depressing a little bit... It gets you down. I feel like people get down and, and Christmas is... Whether it's Christmas or whether it's another holiday that you support or you believe in it's a reason to unite with people that you love and with people that um you care well whatever you care about or or just people in general and have fun and and uh give and or just whatever socialize you know yeah get out of the house be happy sort of not be stuck in a rut or something you know well and that's where the going it still connects all the way back to those early roots too yeah. With the idea of like the winter solstice, the so- shortest day of the year. Yeah. You got to do something to fight back against that long yeah. night. You know what I mean? And <laughs> That's true. Christmas is like just another way of doing that along with, uh, you know, Yuletide yeah. in ancient Germanic custom. Um, Cure it with a party, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, well, and that's New Year's too. We, we, right. we have so many holiday, you know, party, you know, you can have a, a party excursion to... Help yourself forget that it's such cold a, and such dark, a dark and time, man. At least here in the it, northern latitudes, the, it the, is. Well, yeah, but like, and that's maybe it's you know, probably true in the desert too. You know, the desert nights are like cold too. Yeah. So you know, you you want it in there too. So that's what I got for the origins. Okay. So I mean, mine kind of tie in as well. You know, I had, uh, I have the. Um, monetization of the holiday as well as you know just some i mean these are more some people might not find them super interesting but i certainly do i like uh you know numbers are super i'm super curious about numbers well, they're powerful and, too it's like yeah you can be sentimental about the holiday but yeah. when you look at the hard facts if you look well, at the numbers like and in the last hundred years what we've done with those numbers you know like oh. how we've manipulated them and how they've changed the meaning of the holiday, mm-hmm. even not even just being happy, but um, buying and, and consumerism and things like that. Yeah. So I have uh, one thing comes to mind when I think about, you know, uh, you, you know, you mentioned uh, Charles Dickens and, you know, his works. Yeah. yeah. And, and how much influence they had and how much influence they have still mm-hmm. like a decade later. We have kind of a rebirth of that and we have uh, a Christmas story. The movie, you mean? The movie. Yeah. Yeah. And filmed in 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Which is funny because it, it doesn't look like it was 1983, but that's exactly what they intended. Right. But this idea of, you know, film essentially is about bullying and a dream, you know? Mm-hmm. Kid was bullied, but all, all he wanted was that Red Rider Red rifle, Rider. you know? And yep. he wanted to, he would dream about it and... That's what he wanted, and that the whole movie's about what you want at that holiday. Yeah, and that's, that's true. And it's so, in, so intense. What really comes to mind is is large corporation that has that influence, and uh, I think about Coca-Cola. In, in telling you what you, quote-unquote, want? Well, right? like, grabbing, like being so powerful that they can grab... The attention? That holiday. Oh, the whole, yeah. And... and when you think about that holiday, then you think about them instead of the holiday, you know? Yeah. So you think about what 
you know. See, for me, I never, I, I had never thought of Santa Claus as being a thing contrived by Coca-Cola, even though a lot of people can point to. No, but they sure do. Yeah, it's a, but it's a specific. There is actually a specific ad campaign from the 40s. Yep. Um, that like codified Santa Claus into, you know, the big guy with the red suit and the hat and the bag of toys. Mm -hmm. And that was made by Coke. But for me as a kid, I never, I guess it was more subliminal. You know, I never really thought of Christmas and Coca-Cola together. Maybe because I didn't, I don't know. I've never liked Coca-Cola as a drink. So like maybe I didn't associate something I didn't like with a holiday that I really did and still do like. Yeah. I never did when I was younger. So when I was younger, I grew up in a household where we didn't really watch TV. You know what I mean? Like my, my mom, my dad, they wouldn't, um, you know, probably my mom more than my dad, honestly. But uh, wouldn't let me watch TV, you know, yeah. as, a, as a young child. And whatever, that's fine. That, that was just something they, you know, a parenting practice. And, well, but I think now. It, I think it worked. You're, th- you're a very active learner. <laughs> I definitely think it that's worked. That's true. Yeah, you I, have so many hobbies. I I think that could be pointed <laughs> to that you yeah. can just sit there and like yeah. let your brain numb in front of a TV. You were forced to like think of creative ways to go out and do stuff. That's fair. So yeah, of that time in my life, I really think more about Saint Nicholas than I do Santa Claus. You know, sure. So I think about those um, because you didn't have like the corporate version. You had the more like oral tradition type version. Yeah. It was the oral tradition type of fantasy type of, you know, like, oh, old St. Nick is going to yeah. come leave a, a chocolate coin in your shoe, mm-hmm. you know, or he's going to, you know, you got to leave your shoe out for old St. Nick because he'll, you know, which, you know, all myths are a little creepy because you're like, <laughs> hey, ki- hey, kids, you know, leave, leave uh, your shoes out because this, this old, tooth under your pillow. this old dude's going to come and leave you a, a chocolate coin. That's a little creepy. And Could yeah, be. Tooth Fairy is pretty fucking creepy too, you yeah. know. Oh yeah, <laughs> leave yeah. your tooth. Oh, I've actually. This is a side note, but this is great. My grandma uh, was the the reason that I found out that the Tooth Fairy wasn't real. Okay. So I was uh, my 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 grandpa. <laughs> uh, sorry, my mom's family lives in Canada, and uh, so we went up on. Some holiday, I can't remember, but I think it was close to Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just happened to lose my front front tooth. You know, it was an important tooth. It was one of my front teeth. Yeah, the really you know? visible ones. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was kind of a it was a stringy little dude, you know. And so I kind of put pulled it out, and I was like, "Yeah, look at that!" And I remember showing him all. I'm like, "Oh, look, my tooth came out. I'm gonna put it under my pillow." And oh man, I'm gonna. I hope I get you know this, that, and the other, whatever. Yeah. So I go to bed and I'm like, oh yeah. And I wake up in the morning and I look and my tooth's still there. <laughs> what the hell, tooth fairy? I know. And I go downstairs and I go, yeah, it's weird. I, my brother and my sister, I'll never forget, my brother and my sister were sitting right there. And I go, my tooth was still there. And my grandma goes, without missing a beat, goes, Oh, you know that's not real, right? Oh, no. And I just looked up, and I'm just like, like, oh, my God. I was like almost, I could not, that my mind was could not handle that. Childhood shattered. But then she gave, I think she gave me like two bucks, and I was fine. 
She was like, well, yeah, it's not real, but here. Gave me, gave me some money. And I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> that's All right. great. That's what. I'll make up for it by giving you money. That's what it's about, you know? And that's that ties in, too, because it's kind of funny, you know? You're, you have these traditions, but really it's about what you get. As a, as a person, well, you know, it's like, yeah. what, what am I going to get from and this? Especially you know? as a child. I mean, we all know kids are so self-centered, like oh, they're, absolutely. they're adorable yeah. and cute, but they don't know anything beyond like, well, what am I getting out of this? You know? So yeah. oh, why, do, why should I care about Christmas? Well, you go to, you go to mass and you, you're forced this, uh, or maybe you don't go to mass, but in my experience, uh, right. r- growing up Catholic, you go to mass, you're, you're force fed this stuff, whether you understand it or not, whether you want to take it in or not and uh i think a lot of kids try you know in good it's that good faith action they try and understand and be a part of it yeah really (laughs) they're thinking like christmas eve when i get home can i open presents now right is it too early yeah can i wait till like 1201 right maybe i can open my stocking like the number of times we would stockings are weird yeah what's that you know what's that shit I, i don't i didn't unfortunately didn't I don't know. You know. I don't know the specifics, but I do know it's one of those other holdovers of like, um, for some reason, my... I think that's more St. Nick though, right? Because St. Nick, I... Yeah, shoes, I could be bullshit shoes, here, stockings. Shoes, filled your sock, filled your boot. So he had a, you know, or the, the sack, you know, where you're, you have the sack over your, uh, right. over your shoulder or the Santa or whatever. Um, so I do have an interesting little tidbit that I'll just read here too. So I have. Uh, yeah, you're right. It, it's thought to originate the, um, in the life of Saint Nicholas. Yeah, hanging stockings thought, yeah. or putting out shoes. Yeah, interesting, yeah. right? Yeah. Huh. Love it. Ah, good old Saint Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have. Um, all right. Well, we went over. We we won't get too too much into Coca Cola, but because um, we already went over it in a different podcast and that was the last last podcast right episode five uh yeah cool yep so we actually obviously we know it was originally created as a medicine kind of was it a tonic cr- it was created sure kind of accidentally right uh or well as a tonic yeah well there's a guy um pemberton he was basically right a pharmacist and he was just coming up with all these different quack medicines good old john pemberton and this one this one specifically Stuck like people liked it, yeah, and you know it's because it had cocaine in it, but <laughs> uh, which they actually well, it had lithium and lithium and cocaine in it. Really? Yeah, they got rid of it very quickly because because people were getting high as well. Hell while actually, Coca Cola. Well, it was a medicine, so that made probably made people feel better. So they got rid of the co- cocaine and lithium because then they could sell it as not a pharmaceutical over the counter, but as a yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. All right. Which actually ended up, I think, helping the greater good. Them trying to like make the move to be a ma- more of a mass market product. Okay. Well, maybe not though. Like if the if Coke didn't exist, we would have fewer potentially have fewer like cases of childhood obesity and stuff. Although that's more of historical determinism. Anyways, yeah. No, that's fair though. I mean, it's it's good to it's good to talk about everything, you know, when you're when you're thinking about it. Um, but let's, we'll pull it back a little bit to, uh, you know, the holiday and, and the, the Christmas tradition, you know, it's, it was said, well, Coke definitely thinks that 
they came up with the idea of Santa Claus. They, they didn't. They didn't. It was um, it was actually a modern American, you know, as we know, it's a modern American version of Saint Nick. Right. Um, but where we get these suited red, red suited red hat jolly, you know, um, figure was actually from a drawing. Um, in January first, nineteen nine, or sorry, eighteen eighty one issue of Harper Harper's Weekly. Oh yeah. Uh, the drawing became so popular that it it's still widely, obviously, rep, um, is reproduced today. Um, so this became like the sort of iconic um, representation of Santa Claus in the American consciousness. Yes. Well, and they and well, they could put a face to the name, so, right? Exactly. You know, and it's like. And uh, and cons- you know, I mean, marketing agencies—they they love this because yeah. obviously they could put you know they could tell you what you want. Product placement, you know, product yeah. placement. Absolutely. So, interestingly, if I can jump in here quick, yeah, go for it. The reason I think that it was so popular and so iconic was because, like you said, it's it's this sort of singular way to view Saint Nicholas and the whole holiday. Um, but another reason, and that's because prior to this, he was um. St. Nicholas wasn't like a super concrete, people didn't know exactly how he looked. They just pictured him as a dude with a beard in actually winter bishop's robes. That's why it's red. Right. Yeah. Because he was, uh, I don't know if he was a cardinal, but he was a bishop in the, in the Christian church. Yeah. He's Um, a saint. Well, he is now. Yeah. He's a saint now, (laughs) but at the time that he was alive, he was a bishop and bishops wore red. And so somehow that made it all the way down through the ages. I think what we should do, though, is we should actually, maybe we'll do this next year or something for Christmas. You know, I think we should do it sure. a Christmas episode every year. But maybe we'll dive down even further into the archives and see, you know, and invest investigate what this, this you know, real life person sure. who was based off St. Nick, who he really is. Because I don't even know, I don't know, but I don't know how many people would know. Uh, but it'd be interesting to, to see if that is actually like a myth or if it's based off of a real person. You mean like St. Patrick, the the real St. Patrick? Right. The, well, St. Nicholas is a real saint who actually was. But you're talking like his, like where was he born and where did he like serve him. and things? Like, yeah. like, like who was he we from, have, from a historical aspect? We have that, you know? that historical stuff. I didn't look, I I didn't know look we, into I it. I know we do, but I don't know it. So I want to. You know, maybe we'll do that on a different well, Maybe that'll oh. be a different... Stay tuned. Oh, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll jump back in. So the the Coke or some... <laughs> the Coke? No. Um, the er- interpretation by Coke of what we know as Santa Claus was yeah. the very jolly, red, you know, mm-hmm. white-haired, white-beard, red-suited um, was drawn by... I think it's I'm gonna butcher the same. Haddon Sunblom or Hadan Sublam Sunblom. Something like that. He created the one for Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. The original drawing, drawn in eighteen eighty one, was drawn by Thomas Nast. And here Old Tommy Nasty. Old Tommy Nasty. And I'll show you a a picture of it. And we'll put it up on the you, on you, the social media. So go and check that out. You like as the it, listeners can't whatnot. hear right now, but yeah, look at it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't that sweet? That's so cool. He's like, he look. He, you know what he reminds me of? Radagast from uh, 
that shitty Hobbit movie. <laughs> he reminds me of the Brown Wizard. He's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He's got uh, mistletoe in his hair. He's got this big, long kind of a Gandalf pipe. It's fantastic. This is a great photo. Why does he have a sword? Right? He looks like some fat old corporal. That's hilarious. Is yeah. that a sword we'll or is this... that a pipe? No. So he's holding a pipe, but then on his left hip, there's a see. sword. That's so crazy. So we'll what put the... this up for you, for the listeners here um, on our website and on our Insta for you to go back and check out. But this is a, wow, that's so cool. That's, that's so much crazy. better than our current. He looks like a a tinkerer. You know, the. He does look like a He looks tinkerer. like a tinkerer yeah. who would like roam from <laughs> town to town. Yeah. With gifts and like fix things for people. I would actually probably like it better if he was a tinker. You know what? Actually, <laughs> though, those traveling saints kind of were tinkerers. In yeah. In a sense. Like no. they would go from town to town fixing things, maybe not always of the material realm. Like obviously they're helping yeah. people with their spiritual needs in some circumstances. But Yeah, for uh, sure. So it makes sense that he would look that, that he would be portrayed that way in his first ever. I really like that. That's very cool. It's a really cool drawing. I think it's, uh, we'll put it, like I said, we'll put it up on. uh, It's charming as all hell. It is. Well, no wonder people loved it so much. No, right? Yeah. They they absolutely went crazy. So that was 1881? Yeah. So it was uh, drawn and published in 1881. So that's one generation after Dickens writes A Christmas Carol. Right. Because that's 1843. Yeah. So like one lifetime. Yeah. Already Christmas is back up and thriving. And I would obviously this is in the that's in America. This is in America. Too, so it's even so it's traveled from yeah. Europe to America. He get this. So Nast, uh, he drops this in 1881, and then he stopped working for Harper Lee's Weekly in 1886. Uh, after I think Harper Week Harper's Weekly faced hard times after he left. Hmm. So after he left the next six years, they I think he was pretty much their content creator. Interesting. And then he left. I don't know much about that. Maybe we can dive into that next time too. Um, but yeah, so there's a whole... I, I'll put I'll put the link of his story up there too because I think it's really interesting and we can put that in on the, on Facebook. And, Tommy Nasty's story, you mean? Uh, no, the, of... Well, there's St. Nick and maybe even a little bit about Tom Nast. Okay. Um, t- good old Tommy Nast. Um, <laughs> but anyway, from this picture... It's one of the first major Christmas advertisements. Yeah, like it's concerted one of concerted campaigns. Well, it's it's the first portrayal that you could actually look at that would of say Saint Nick. Yeah, Saint, would... this is Saint Nick. This is Santa. Mm-hmm. Well, this this isn't Saint Nick. This would be he said it was Santa. Oh, okay. So this is the first thing, and this is what uh, Coca Cola derived, where they derived their mm-hmm. their drawing oh, from okay. was this this uh, drawing by Thomas Nast. So, and this spiked the age of advertising, essentially, starting in the 1900s. Okay, sure. Um, which is super interesting. Well, if you think about, at this time, the, the early 1900s, America's on the rise, focused a lot around manufacturing, mm. production, and they're trying to sell their goods to the rest of the world. So, yeah, right. they need advertisers to do that for them. Well, you also have the invention of the assembly line. Oh, yeah. 1913, Ford. Um, and then, I'm sorry, the rise of advertising was 1910. Okay. So, well, yeah, early 1900s. From 1910, or sorry, 1900, um, the advertising 
uh, went from five hundred million dollars per cap or uh, not per capita for the U.S. to one point three billion in fifteen years. Um, so it more so that almost triples. It almost triples. Wow. Um, and then you have the, you know, you have the ability to show people, you know, because it's probably pretty hard times or factories. It's all kind of. It's assembly line work, which, like you said earlier, is long, grueling, you know, minimum, no minimum There wage. is no minimum wage. Yeah. No minimum There's wage. There's no child labor laws. There's no. Exactly. Really hard times yeah. to work in. Um, and then so you have uh, you have the promise for a better means of life. And you have better, like, better kitchen appliances, better radios, better, um, sure. better this, better that for you know and it's right in front of you now because when you're reading and you're seeing all these advertisements for more affordable more affordable things too yeah, yeah and because of the assembly line the last thing that i wanted to touch on for that was um those 15 years it tripled and then um you know here we are 100 years later essentially yeah you know a little under 90 95 years later and the current day, well, for 2018, um, for the U.S., what we spent on marketing uh, as a whole is $151 billion. $151 billion. So I, can't went, even, I can't even wrap my head around that. So it went from 1.3 to 151. In What's that, years. like 1,000% or more? No, that'd be... A, a million? Uh, what was it? 1.3 million to 151 billion? Yeah. That's... A million percent in a hundred years yeah yeah so you think we went in 15 years we tripled and then in another hundred years we went up a mil- millennia yeah. millennia yeah that's not a word but i just came up with it because why not coined wayne coined. coined nice yeah so it's crazy you know you have every christmas it's actually funny it's funny you look at it now and you're just seeing all these commercials come out and uh, Amazon and Walmart, and they put out these commercials that are so feel good. You know, yeah. it's people dance around the store. It's a good, it's yeah. a good song. It's good music, or it's the box. You know, Amazon, the boxes are smiling at you yeah. and kind of singing. And it's funny that they portray themselves so good, and they're they have they're like, look at all our, you know, all these employers are so happy and mm-hmm. all this, and that makes me wonder: is that truly the case? Oh, yeah. I mean, we could do an entire series on looking into how good or not good, you know, a large company like Amazon is for America or the world. I think a lot of people, it's easy to point targets at, you know, to aim your cannons at a company (laughs) like Amazon and and blast away because they're big enough that they can handle it. But also, sure, because it's easy to see their impact, their negative impact. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they have a relatively large positive impact as well, but I sure. think I think sure. Amazon more than any other company is a great. Uh, it, it emphasizes how much our culture is based on consumption and materialism, yeah. and that ties right into Christmas. I mean, there's plenty of companies for the last hundred years where up to half of their yearly revenue was made within that two month period surrounding December 25th. For instance, I worked for a printing company. And we did a mm-hmm. lot of the marketing and ads for these big companies. Yeah. And between, uh, like, we would start printing Christmas stuff because obviously we had to print it 
three months in advance or have it we're in the works three months in advance so we're printing stuff in september october uh, and then it's shipped to the stores by late november mm-hmm. in order for them to have it up the whole christmas quote-unquote christmas season so because we're working on these ads and getting the marketing printed up for these big companies mm-hmm. we knew what their so for instance gamestop was one of the accounts that i worked on yeah and it was something ridiculous like 30 percent and this was just I mean, a lot of it is just widely public because they're all publicly traded companies, but 30% or even up to 50% on any given year of GameStop's yearly revenue was within uh, like the 1st of November and December 24th. So like a month and a half and they've got a third to half (laughs) of their yearly revenue coming in those days. So it shows that like... that's crazy. Even though Dickens was worried about it back in the day, back in the 1800s, he was worried that... um, Christmas was all about consumerism and, and materialism. And he wrote a book to fight against that because the book really tries to get at the core of, you know, the Christmas spirit, right? Right, yeah. And that's what a lot of people still talk about is a Christmas spirit. But yeah, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, when you look at the numbers, is it really about the spirit? Right. Or is it about just... The numbers. Buying and yeah. consuming all of these goods that maybe they're not goods anymore. Yeah. Right. Maybe they're bads. <laughs> I like that. Think of no, seriously. Think of how many land, how much shit goes into the landfill. Yeah. In January, that was bought in November for December. Yeah. No, it's true. There's got to be. There's so much stuff. Millions and billions of pounds. Well, even if it's not, if if it's not the new stuff, it's the stuff that's the new stuff's replacing. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. This idea of like readily accessible, also for some reason, is it. Uh, has a sort of a connotation of throwaway. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. If you want to buy, all right. So for instance, you and I both like quality goods. We, we like quality, like I would agree. boots. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Bags and things that are going to last us. I have a pair of boots that I've had for 10 years. Yeah. I definitely and have a pair of shoes that I have. The, the, I've had for a long. The big problem with that is that they are expensive. They're yeah. not readily accessible to, you know, a good portion of the population. And so it, it again, swings around to, well, at Christmas time, everybody's got to give a gift, but yeah. nobody, not everybody can afford a $300 boots that are going to last 10 years. So they buy the $30 boots that last one year. Yeah, that's true. You know, like, yeah, well it is, it's, you have to be a realist too. You have to, you have to really know, you know, everybody has a budget. We all have budgets, you know, whether we're living yeah. by them or not. <laughs> well, yeah. And, but that's the thing too, with, with gift giving, I, I feel like it's, we're really stuck in the what I'm getting, not that you got something, you know? That, yeah. So it's like, you know, you could you could give somebody, you know, I, let's say St. Nicholas, give him a bar of chocolate, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like, oh, my God, this bar of chocolate's amazing. Right. You know, but this modern day, you know, let's say you get like a, a, a Reese's, you know, somebody's not going to be like, thank you. You gave me a Reese's for Christmas. You know, they'd be like, Oh, that's it? Yeah. And that's the feeling that is very interesting to me because that's that's what this ad, uh, you know, all of these advertising monetization of, of the holiday have really done, you know? Are like pulling on that what else sort of. Yeah. It's like Which what, is very human. What else? Yeah. It's like what else it's am I going thing. to get? Yeah. It's very human. Wanting it's very human. more yeah. and better things is part yeah. of the reason we are where we are now. Yeah. You know? I feel like it's a very, very um, adolescent thought, 
you know, when you're it like, is relatively I want, I want more, you know, and I feel like as you grow or you get older, at least I find myself wanting, well, and this is kind of like, cause we are very similar. I want better quality and I'll have better quality over multiple, a longer period. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I'll, I'll spend $150 on a pair of sneakers if they're going to last me years. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll and buy that $300 knife because it'll be in my family for the, the next 50 years. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, fi- I feel that I feel that way. Um, but I, I, you know, it's, it's a mindset, you know, and I, I, a lot of people, um, well, I shouldn't say that. I feel like some people can't think like that. Um, because they, they can't out of necessity, necessity, yeah, they can't afford it or they some can't, people yeah. really can't afford it. Cause they have yeah. other, you know, and I think about if I had three kids right now, yeah, I wouldn't be able to afford anything. Yeah. You'd be, you exactly. Know? you would be looking for everything cheap Yep, and that's fine. You know, I, I don't think that's a, that's not a, it's not a, you know, just an observation. Uh, it's an observation. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so I was, I was going to, I'll leave it with this too. This is, uh, this is kind of a, one of my last thoughts is it's really interesting that we went from, you know, St. Nicholas where, you know, you have a stocking, feeling of stocking. Some people still do that. Went from that and then Coke created their story of Santa Claus and leaving a, a Coca-Cola out for Santa Claus. And, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you have other companies like uh, Pepsi and uh, or. Oreo, think about the Oreos being left out yeah. for milk and cookies, uh, milk and cookies, yep. or I've always also heard of like chocolate chip cookies or Nestle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, a big, big name you don't really hear a lot because they're hidden behind all their brands is Nabisco. Nabisco oh, is yeah, a they huge, own. they own all, probably every cookie you ever eat from Chips the Ahoy is yeah. Nabisco. Yeah. Uh, Chips Ahoy, Oreo. Um, they own Oreo? Oh yeah, they own Oreo. Oh. They own all of the Oreo brands. There's so many Oreo do brands. They, do they own Pepperidge Farms? I could see Nabisco owning the. I would assume. So. Oh yeah, they do. I would assume they do. I think they do. So I just here's a little aside. I just <laughs> <laughs> there's the Milano cookie, right? That's like the yeah. It's the cookie with the fudge in between. Oh right. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's like the two wafers with the fudge in between. Yeah, and they're like yeah. marketed by Pepperidge Farms as these really nice, fancy cookies that are delicious and luxurious and luscious yeah one of my favorite shows of all time scrubs uh jd in it uh they're talking for some reason they're talking about um milano cookies and he goes it's not mulatto they're like no what's (laughs) wrong with you he goes i always thought that was a little bigoted for a cookie (laughs) such a great line so just a few of their products i just had to look it up because nutter butter Sure. Nilla Wafer, oh. Chips Ahoy, Oreo, Trisket, Premium, um, sorry, so, uh, Wheat Thins, Ritz. I fucking love Wheat Thins. Yeah. Um, Trisket, or I already said Triscuits. Um, oh, Graham Crack, Honey Made Graham Cracker, like the, the Graham Cracker. Like that's, they have such a, a corner on all this stuff. That's like Nestle with uh, with bottled drinks. Yeah, it's crazy. So, um, but yeah, no, but it's that's just my last thought because it's like so much of of what we perceived as children as being yeah. mainstays of Christmas are actually just 
created concepts by these corporations to sell more of their shit, right? It's a like, dollar, yeah. Yeah. To make a dollar. For better or for worse, like I had great Christmases, uh, you know, eating chocolate chip cookies from I Nabisco. love Oreos. Yeah. Dude, Chips <laughs> Ahoy, know? it's my jam. Yeah, I know, right? Chewy Chips Ahoy. Mm, I got... I, got, I like crunchy. See, I, I'm, I'm all about the chewy because mm. I don't like the milk with it. Maybe the, I'm weird I like, like the that. milk like with it, yeah. So one last... Uh, doesn't apply to Christmas at all unless you really want to tangent it out. It's about uh, Hold on. Nabisco cookies. Try that again. You, you peed in the mic real bad. Uh, okay, so one last tangent. Uh, it's not about Christmas at all, but it's about cookies. So you, you mentioned Nabisco owns Nil Wafers. So one time my buddies and I drove up to uh, Canada. We went to just north of Nestor Falls, which is north of Minnesota, mm-hmm. where I'm from originally. Oh, nice. And uh, we went to my buddy Garrett. His family owns a cabin on the Lake of the Woods. It's literally on an island. It's the, one of the most picturesque, beautiful places ever. That's cool. But on our way up, um, we stopped in International Falls for groceries. Mm-hmm. And I think we were all like around 20, 21 at this time. So we didn't know how to buy groceries. Like it was all... Doritos and Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we get out to the parking lot after we had done our quote unquote grocery shopping. And there's this guy there and he has like a full on pallet of what? these, these Nilla wafers, only they're not wafers. <laughs> they're Nilla um, like sandwiches. Oh, what was the name of them? They're like Cakesters. That's what cakesters. they're called. Nilla Cakesters. It's like, imagine a Nilla wafer, but like in the airy, fluffy cake, like a ho-ho kind of vibe. Well, it's like the Pepperidge Farm. It's like a little Milano cookie. A Milano cookie, but It's like round. a Milano cookie, but round God, and that soft. Sounds, that sounds delicious. They were delicious, but we he, he was just had them in his trunk. Not his trunk. He had a Jeep. He had his back <laughs> thing open, and he goes, hey, you guys want these? He had cases of these things, and we were like... Uh, Who are you? But yeah, they look amazing. And he gave us uh, two two cases. So in, in each it's case... It's a miracle you're still alive. In each case... Well, we'll get to that. This is part of it. In <laughs> oh each case God. is uh, like six boxes, and each box has six cakesters in it. Yeah. So there's 36 cakesters per case. We had three cases of it. Holy shit. And there's seven or eight of us guys. Seven, eight of us guys. So we get up to the cabin. We're up there for f- three, four days, f- four days out in the middle of a lake. Yeah. And the only way to get back to shore to get more food or anything, if we get hurt, we got to take a 20 minute boat ride <laughs> to get back to the mainland. Oh to my then God. Take, say we had gotten really bit hurt an hour drive to the hospital. So like, it's yeah. a good thing we didn't. But anyways. You've been dead. Yeah. So we get to, we get to the last night that we're there <laughs> three days in. Yeah. And we noticed about. By day two, we were like, man, we're running through food really fast. Maybe we should like ration it out a little bit. Yeah. And we did. And then we rationed it out a little bit more and we're like, shit, like we're going to run out of food. We're not going to have food for this last day. Like the full last day and the night and the next morning, we yeah. wouldn't have had food because we were stupid, didn't know how to buy groceries. Oh, yeah. And then somebody goes, well, what about those Nilla Cakesters? And turns out because we took these cakesters these nilla nilla cakesters from this stranger yeah. who just had them and kate by the caseload in the back of his jeep oh my god 
we would have ended up going hungry for like a day and a half without these Nilla wafers. Oh, my casers. God. And let me tell you, they are delicious, and I haven't been able to find them since. Thank you, corn syrup. Oh, God. Yeah. Yep. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I. It's a good thing I would have judged you except for you were about to starve to death. Yeah. Well, not to death. You would have you would have really been We really would have gone hungry for a day and a half. Yeah. Which but, let's be honest with our uh doughy early college constitutions <laughs> that would have been that would have been a real struggle. You may have died. Yeah, we could have. We also had to save one of my buddies he He's not a great swimmer, and he was wearing his flip-flops for some reason when he jumped in, and we had to jump in after him. He almost drowned. It was, was kind of scary. And then yeah. my other buddy, we went uh, island hopping, swimming from island to island. He mm-hmm. stepped on uh, some old uh, fish bones and punctured his foot open. Ooh. It was an eventful trip. Yeah. It's always good to do that type of thing when you're, you know, hours away from hospitals and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you know... So. You, at least we had the Miller Cakesters. Thank you, Nabisco. Makes your, you feel alive, you know. And your uh, horrible, horrible thing that somehow kept us alive. Right. Yeah. So I don't know how that ties to Christmas, but, man, if I could get one of those in my stocking, I would be happy. There you go. You I, just I could, together. I could reminisce hoard, <laughs> hoard. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's <laughs> that's all that I have in that, me. For, that is all we're, we for, got left here, folks. For the Christmas episode. I uh, just wanted to say, if you do have any questions or comments or concerns, or if you want to suggest a topic that you want to hear more about, feel free to email us at uh, heavypoorpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, thank you for listening to another episode of The Heavy Poor. I've, I've been Skyler. And I've been Dustin. Merry Christmas to you all, and uh, we'll see you for season two. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening. The Heavy Pour is researched and written by Dustin Barton, recorded and produced by Skylar Carroll, and edited by us both. Check us out at The Heavy Pour Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, or at our website, theheavypourpodcast.com. There, you can also find any citations or corrections we have made. Our intro and theme music were written by Skylar, with photos by ourselves, as well as Kaylee Kirkpatrick. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.